You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is the Holiday Edition of The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. On this special edition of the show, we're focused on the holidays. Whether you're cooking for a crowd or have plans to enjoy the winter outdoors, we've got you covered. But before we turn our attention to the celebrations, we look ahead to the project to enhance public transit in the region. Galit Solomon with the latest from Markham Mayor Frank Scarpitti. Mayor Scarpitti, yeah, the Young Subway Extension is definitely a topic that's, uh, that's on your mind and on the minds of a lot of people here in York Region. Tell us a little bit about the status of the project. Well, we're finally uh, moving forward, and I say that, I mean, there's been a, obviously a, a lot of work and, uh, that we've been doing at York Region, and uh, fair to say that, that uh, this project uh, was really advanced in the fact that we were finished with our environmental assessment uh, that's been done for, for a few years now and been ready to get going with the design. And we're finally starting some of the, the technical work on the ground. And this is all important work as well. As we move forward with the design, it's important to do the soil testing. And so there'll be, you'll see crews out on Young Street uh, over the next uh, several uh, weeks and maybe months, depending on what they find as they do boreholes about every 100 meters right up uh, Young Street. So I have to say, I'm pleased that this work is, is finally underway. Uh, a little frustrated, though, that, uh, you know, we, we got money from the federal government well over a year ago, uh, had the provincial money uh, prior to that, and uh, this is why I've been supporting the provincial government's uh, initiative to upload subway construction. So as happy as I am that we're finally getting underway, had this been under our jurisdiction or under a single entity's jurisdiction, I think we'd actually be a lot further ahead with this project than we are today. And you just mentioned several stakeholders are, of course, a part of this project. Um, who, who are they? Obviously, the various levels of government, but who else is involved in this project? Well, so so far, in terms of the funding that we've received, uh, obviously, the provincial government uh, has funded $55 million for uh, the design work. Uh, the federal government, as I said over a year ago, came to the table with another 36. So we're, we're over $91 million that uh, they've contributed to do this design work. And the design work is very important. It'll get us to about 15% of the design work for the entire project. And when we get to that level, we'll actually be able to go to the marketplace and get firm numbers on what the capital costs will be for the uh, for the Young Subway extension. So certainly the different levels of government, Metrolinx as the provincial agency is also involved, obviously because uh, TTC, it's, it's their uh, subway line, uh, they're involved along with uh, the City of Toronto, which uh, funds TTC. And for us in, in our jurisdiction, it's the York Region Rapid Transit Corporation, otherwise uh, better known by the public as Viva Transit, is uh, involved, and of course uh, York Regional Council through the funding of uh, of the Viva Transit uh, Corporation uh, as well. So a lot of partners have, have come to the table, 
And again, um, it's been, uh, for me, rather frustrating that, that it's taken this long uh, when we've had the money in hand for well over a year that we're finally getting underway with this work. Happy moment. Uh, but again, uh, we need to clearly work uh, and advance now the, the work that needs to get done. Because as great as, um, as the progress is, we, we, in the last provincial budget, there was some money set aside, uh, for the, the, uh, construction of the subway. Uh, this current government has said they, they want to add more dollars to the rapid transit uh, construction budget for uh, the province of Ontario. I think in the in their platform, it was about five billion dollars more. What kind of time frame are we looking at going forward from where we stand right now? Well, my hope is we're we're looking at at about uh, a year to, to eighteen months. Uh, we've already asked our staff because this uh, again, it's been bringing all the partners together, getting the the staff assigned from the various parties uh, to work on this uh, on this project. Uh, as I said, that's been frustrating, and one of the reasons, again, that I've supported the uploading of uh, construction for the subway is to really end kind of the jurisdictional issues, and, and sometimes that's uh, disagreement on things, but it's also sometimes just coordinating uh, and getting uh, the process underway, which is, as in this particular case, I think has taken far too long. So we're looking at about a year to 18 months' worth of design work, and uh, we've already asked our staff uh, through the Rapid Transit Corporation, York Region Rapid Transit Corporation, to look at ways that we could perhaps accelerate that work uh, because we won't be able to go out to the marketplace and get a final price tag on the Young Subway extension until that work is completed, and then... Um, if we don't know what that final price tag is, we it'll be really tough to get the other levels of government to commit the dollars that it's going to need to be uh, to be built. Sure. So uh, that work has to be finished, and then there has to be as much as I have to say. Uh, Premier Ford did sign uh, the young subway shovel that I had. I challenged all the party <laughs> leaders during the provincial election to commit to the young subway. He signed it. And again, we've been encouraged by both the party platform during the election that there'd be an increase of $5 billion towards uh, rapid transit construction. And more recently, there, there, what seems to be a very strong direction of uploading the construction of the Young Subway. So that's all good news. And, and of course, these are large sums of money that we're talking about for an investment like this. A recent report actually suggested that one of the least used subway stations is in Vaughan. It's the 407, the Highway 407 uh, station. Uh, and of course, it begs the, the question, is this service really needed in York Region? And if so, tell us why. Well, really, when you take a look, and again, I, I you know, I applaud... Uh, uh, all levels of government for any investment they've made in, in rapid transit in the GTA in the last uh, number of years because we really did fall behind uh, compared to other uh, jurisdictions in, in North America. Uh, I will say this, while I have supported the investment, the fact is that the young subway extension to Highway 7 is the most justifiable rapid transit investment in recent history. So I'll all investments have helped develop the network. When you take a look at the ridership, we have over 2,500 daily bus trips that are happening today 
uh, on Young, and those those buses are creating for the traffic and uh, congestion that's happening on Young Street. It's an inefficient way of of getting uh, you know those commuters uh, to their destination. So uh, one, the demand is there today, but when you take a look at the planning, the, the what's planned, particularly at Young and Highway Seven, just on the Markham side, south of the 407. If your listeners can imagine between Young Street and Bayview, south of the 407. Eventually, there will be 32,000 people living there and another 15,000 jobs in that area alone. And then when you factor in the north side, on the, in the Richmond Hill side, uh, there's also thousands of people that will be living there where the cinemas and those big box stores, they will eventually be knocked down. Uh, and replaced with uh, with mixed use uh, development. So you, one, the ridership is there compared to most of the recent uh, transit projects. Uh, so that's clearly been demonstrated. But secondly, by providing the young subway extension to Highway Seven, not only do you look after the crowded uh, buses that there people are having to contend with uh, every day, uh, but you also unleash billions of dollars of development that will also help uh, the economy and help the provincial and federal coffers as well as they collect all of the various uh, taxes related to that uh, to that economic growth. Very good. Markham Mayor Frank Scarpetti, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Galeef. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region on this special edition of the show. If your holiday plans include mealtime, Christy Laverty has some advice to hopefully please all your guests. So we're joined now by Andrea Bucket. She is a chef and a speaker uh, with Andrea Bucket Cooks, which is perfect because we want to talk about cooking over the holidays. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Christy. So... What prompted this was a conversation about holiday dinners and mm-hmm. this growing um, sort of list of dietary restrictions. You know, we have guests who are vegetarian, maybe guests who are vegan, and maybe we're not vegan or vegetarian. And, you know, that kind of right. can be a bit stress inducing when you're cooking over the holidays. So maybe you can talk a little bit about um some of the ideas and tips and how we can maybe do this holiday cooking thing and accommodate everybody without completely overwhelming ourselves. What I would say is that if you have someone or several people in your life who will be attending uh, a family dinner, you know, maybe suggest that, you know, everyone can bring something. Not only does it help you in the kitchen because then it takes some of the pressure off, but then you're not on the hook to make everybody happy. Right. So, right. So, so instilling this sort of potluck idea, like in my house, what we do is I do something called the side dish challenge, where all my kids have to make something, and then I know that they're going to have something that they like. That's an amazing. So it's kind of fun. Um, the other thing is uh, vegetables. Vegetables. Everyone can eat vegetables. We have tons of uh, veggie side dishes at Christmas time, so it's not as hard as people think, and it's really easy to swap out things. Like, for instance, we were saying vegetarians. Uh, if you're doing mashed potatoes, you know, instead of using or vegan even, if you're using butter instead of using butter in your mashed potatoes, you can always use a vegetable-based margarine, and instead of using things like cream, you can always add some um, veggie stock to sort of lighten it up and give it some more flavor. 
So maybe that the last sort of point of discussion here could be the days after a big meal, lots of food. Shouldn't think about what to do with all of that food as a leftover. Yeah, so leftovers, that's always a question, right? Because I think we sort of get, we're sort of full of that Christmas fare, and maybe the day after it's okay to have a little bit of the leftovers, but by day three, you're like, I've seen enough of this food. So um, a good idea is either, I mean, I love making soup out of leftovers. I think it's a great idea, but you don't necessarily have to do it right away. You could always, you know, freeze your turkey carcass or freeze leftover roast beef or leftover ham, whatever it is that you're having, and then create a soup like maybe two or three weeks down the road. So you don't get sick of it. You don't have to have, you know, be inundated for the whole week of, say, turkey or ham or roast beef. You can sort of put those leftovers away and then have them, you know, a month down the road where, you know, you're ready to see that food again. Awesome. Thanks so much, Andrea. Andrea Bucket from Andrea Bucket Cooks, chef and speaker. Thank you so much. Thank you and happy holidays. Happy holidays. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. No matter what holiday you're celebrating at this time of year, tradition plays a part. Heather Good is next with the story of Kwanzaa. Another celebration that we have going on is Kwanzaa. Can you first tell me, what is Kwanzaa? Kwanzaa is an African, American, and Panam holiday celebration created by a Dr. Karenga in 1986 and he's a professor and of course was also the chair for the Department of Black Students in California State University. Why was it created? What was the reason behind from what you know why he created it? What he take into consideration Kwanzaa is an act of reclamation of our African communal culture created to reaffirm and to restore our rootedness in African culture, to reaffirm and reinforce the bond between us as a people. And so he introduced seven principles. Uh, uh, What are some of those? Do you know? Oh, the seven principles. um, First is unity. And unity stresses the importance of togetherness for the family and the community. And then he also came up with self-determination and requires that we define our common interests and make decisions that are in the best interest of, or the, sorry, (laughs) the best interest of our family and community. He also have collective work and responsibility and that reminds us of our obligation to pass, our obligation to the past and present and future that we have a role to play in the community, society, and the world. Then we have um, cooperative economics, and that emphasizes our collective economic strength and encourages mutual support. Okay. Now we, we also have um, purpose. And purpose encourages us to look within ourselves and to set personal goals that are beneficial to the community. Number six is creativity. Make use of our creative energies to build and maintain a strong and vibrant community. And seven is faith. Focus on 
honoring the best of our tradition draws upon the best in ourselves mm. and help us strive for a higher level of life and humankind by affirming our self-worth and confidence in our ability to succeed and triumph in righteous tragedy. So how do people celebrate Kwanzaa? For us at the Malcolm African Caribbean Association, usually on the second Saturday in December, we have, we have what you call a celebration. So, you know, we sort of reaffirm a number of these things as we go forward and we bring in professionals such as, um, I don't know if you know of Murphy Brown. She writes in the, the Share newspaper as well as Tika Murphy Clark. These are the individuals who are who specialize in in the in in Kwanzaa. And so when you you bring those individuals in, mm-hmm. and um, they go through all the you know light all the candles because of course there's also seven candles. Yep. And they would go to go to the meaning of the seven candles. And of course you have, we have a the school program that would be a big part of that and their parents. And you have um, different cultural groups who are invited to be a part of what we do from time to time. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, you know, dancing and celebration. And of course they go to these seven principles. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the the intent is that as we go through the year, that we are able to remember these principles and um, celebrate and things like that. Is there a specific day that Kwanzaa is celebrated on? Because Christmas obviously is is December twenty fifth. Is there a specific day, or is it stretched over a bunch of days? Yes, we have um, Kwanzaa goes on the twenty sixth of December. To the first of January. Okay, and so during that time, people can—I uh, mean, they celebrate. Do, but do they? Um, is there spe- types of food that they eat that are specific to Kwanzaa or anything like that? Because food's always a big part of celebrations. Or do they of give? Course. And do they give presents to each other? Yeah. I, I, I think during the, the month, during that seven-day stretch, of course, you have. You know, you have to, um, you go through the rituals of lighting the, the candles. If you are quite involved with it, do you have the different candles that you lit each day and each of them is, is lit for a, a specific reason. And so as I, as I list as we go down, mm-hmm. so they sort of focus on those reasons why this candle is lit on that day and things like that. And it's also a time of, um, you know, coming together and reminding each other what this whole idea of Kwanzaa is about. And so they, they are hoping that on the celebration, which is on the 1st of January, mm-hmm. you know, that's a huge celebration. For, and of course, it is the understanding that going forward, we need to remember what it is that we, are, we do for, our, for the last seven days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it is yeah. Go ahead. And it is hope that you know they follow through with that. I think when it when it was put forward by Dr. Karenga in 1986, it was a matter of you know being from Africa and realize that there are so much Africans here, and it just seems as if 
they were forgetting what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so he, and so he brought it forward. Yeah, because I was going to say to you, um, you know, we ha- like when I was growing up, growing up, I actually never heard of Kwanzaa. Um, mm-hmm. So why and so why do you think that it's really important? And it seems to become much more focused in the uh, you know over the past ten years um, that Kwanzaa's uh, mm-hmm. much more people are more aware. Why do you think it's important to recognize Kwanzaa and celebrate Kwanzaa? Well, I think where Dr. Karenga is concerned. He was, of course, from from Africa, and he was the professor of this university in one in one of the universities. And he just felt that this was not happening. And he seeing that he just felt at that time that a lot of Africans that he was that he was known to in the United States, you know, seemed to forget what this is about and how you know you you are supposed to be supporting each other in. Say, for example, you don't have what you may have and the other person don't. It's the understanding that we all should be able to support each other and to give back. Remember what we, what, what, what we, what we were taught back in Africa mm-hmm. and bring it to those individuals here who never heard of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, several, I didn't know about Kwanzaa. And I think you know, it was around 20 years ago when they brought it. That's right. Become known to us, yeah. and so we start celebrating it as at our Saturday school program. Mm-hmm. And um, and you find that it's well attended by even African individuals who we don't know. Once upon, you know, once they heard about the Malcolm African Caribbean Association celebrated Kwanzaa, mm-hmm. they became a huge part of that. And can anybody come and celebrate Kwanzaa? Sure. Yeah. Everyone is welcome, and it's usually well attended. Fantastic. And and Pat, mm-hmm. how, how will you how will you celebrate Kwanzaa? Well, I, I actually I know there's also you know the black business professionals they all do a Kwanzaa celebration. So it's a, it's a matter of you just go and sort of again be informed what it is that you need to be doing among the, the people around you and um, give in to those that don't and be sure that everyone um, are able to attend and to be because then you have some people who are probably struggling but not saying mm-hmm. and um, I'm not saying that that's the only time of year that you do that but for some reason it becomes a reminder mm-hmm. that you need to be helping and yeah. giving. Yeah, well, it's a good, good, uh, good philosophy for everybody to live by, and uh, mm-hmm. and I thank you for uh, letting us know what Kwanzaa is and how um, people celebrate. And happy Kwanzaa! Thank you. <laughs> Th- thank you so, thank you. thank you so much, Pat, for joining us on the feed. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com for a replay. During this holiday season, you may be concerned about the amount of time your children are spending in front of a screen. Well, you're not alone. Some straight talk from a tech expert. 
So today we're joined by Amber Mack. She's an author, speaker, I'm going to say like a tech wizard. If it's technology and it's trending and it's hot, Amber knows about it. And what we wanted to talk a little bit about is kids are out of school, it's holiday break, and we're going to be seeing probably some increase in that screen time and technology. Maybe we can start off talking about some tips to help parents and kids manage this technology over the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the most important things to pay attention to as a parent is that not all screen time is created equal. And that's really important to remember because oftentimes we set these rules about uh, screen time in terms of 30 minutes here and one hour here. But the reality is if your child is doing something and using a screen where they are learning or coding or building something or crafting or even cooking, you know, you don't want to treat that screen time the same way as you may treat screen time that is just consumption in terms of watching videos on YouTube. Yeah, and that's probably a good point here is, and I may be aging myself slightly, but, you know, technology for me is different. But my children approach technology differently. They're 13 and 15, and most kids do. So, you know, as a parent, you probably do need to, to sort of differentiate that technology and screen time as a whole. You absolutely do. And, you know, one of the easiest ways, I think, to think about this as a parent, and uh, I have a nine-year-old, so, you know, I'm right in the middle of this right now, is that you need to think about uh, creation consumption. And this is something I'm always trying to talk to my son about is that if he wants to go and get inspired by videos that teach him how to draw and he wants to sit there with uh, an, a pencil and, and draw characters and learn how to do something new, I am fine with him spending more time on screens. If he wants to sit there and just watch videos of other little kids who are unboxing toys for the holidays, which isn't really adding a ton of value to his life, then I encourage him to do something else. So I think if we focus on creating something and creativity versus consumption, it's a really easy way to think differently about screen time. Do you have some tips on how maybe parents can get involved? Because technology doesn't have to be one person sitting in front of a computer. It can be something that the entire family does together. It really can. And I mean, that means that it kind of runs the gamut from everything from finding a really fun recipe online and baking it together as a family, or maybe you learn a new hobby. I was even very excited a couple of years ago when Pokemon Go was released, even though it is a game. The reality is it did get kids and families outside searching for these Pokemon characters using the augmented reality app, uh, which I think is a, a fun way for a family to get together and pass some time. So it really is about finding those things that you can also do together. I mean, the reality is there are going to be times when, you know, you just need to unload the dishwasher and you need your kid to spend some time, you know, on their own doing something. But I do think there's a real opportunity to engage together, even if it's making videos. You know, kids love to watch YouTubers. Well, why not tell them, okay, you know what, let's shoot a little video with your phone, teach them how to edit, which any parent can learn simply by using some really basic tools. And then you've turned an activity that was really kind of a passive viewing activity into something where they're learning a new skill. Which is an amazing suggestion because, you know, YouTube is that area where kids are consuming a large amount of content and it really is not that difficult to do and it can be something that you can do together and parents can learn something from their children. I think that's absolutely true and, you know, so often we think about YouTube and we think, oh, well, I don't want my child to be public on YouTube. I don't want 
them to be producing videos that everyone can see, but the reality is you can create a YouTube channel and you can lock it down so only people who have the direct link to the videos are able to see those videos. So if you have younger children, and I would say 12 and younger, that may be something that you want to consider. It's a little more difficult when they get into the teen years, but I, I do think there is an opportunity to create content and to be able to share that content. And I think these are the skills that kids are going to need in the future. I mean, this is all about uh, digital literacy, and this is something I think from a communication standpoint that's going to be critical when we think about jobs that are going to exist in five or ten years. Yeah, because the technology is not going away, and we every year continue to see you know, new trends, new technologies. Here we are going into 2019, and we're going to continue to see those things growing. And we want our kids to be leaders in that field. We absolutely do. And I think that's one of the things we think about with technology is that we think, oh, you know, this has ruined our children. But I really don't think like that. And I think we have to start being realistic about how it's important for kids to have those tech skills to be able to get jobs when they get out of college is one example. Now, I know there are parents who are probably listening who are thinking, well, you know, my kid's gone too far. They're deep into Fortnite. They haven't left the game for, you know, 40 hours a week. And and that is an issue. And I recognize that there are issues, and especially during the holiday season, where kids are definitely spending too much time playing video games and in front of screens. But I think it's it's at that point that the parents need to get involved, uh, set those limits, and also encourage discovery of doing something new when it comes to technology. Now, as we sort of wrap things up, and we're still talking trends and what we might be seeing maybe sort of under the tree, but also going into 2019, what are some of the tech trends that you're seeing uh, a lot with, particularly with families? I think we're seeing uh, one of the big tech trends going into 2019 and possibly some gifts under the the tree uh, in terms of uh, Wi-Fi routers. That's just one example, and that sounds really, really boring, but <laughs> let me kind of put it into context of how it can be helpful. If you think about something like Google Wi-Fi or even Kids Wi-Fi, these are two different products that allow parents to download an app and then take control of Internet access in the home. That means you can pause the Internet at any time. You can set limits for certain devices. And and I mention these because I think so often I talk to parents and they feel helpless, like they're not in control. But there's technology out there that helps put them back into control. The second big trend that we're seeing right now, which I think you can avoid, is the rise of smart speakers, whether it's uh, Google Home or Amazon Alexa. And these can also be really fun for the family to play trivia, play games, and just interact, listen to music together. So those are two things that I think we're going to see this holiday season. It's exciting. So much power. I like to sort of connect it to that power of ignition. Having power of the internet in your house says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we forget all the power that is packed into those two types of technology that I just mentioned, because, you know, much of that is driven by artificial intelligence is one example when we talk about smart speakers. And again, it puts power power into our own hands. So I love that idea that it lets you control screen time. And also with smart speakers, you have people looking at their phones a little bit less because you can use your voice to play games and listen to music and all those fun things that we like to do during the holiday season. Thanks, Amber Mack, author, speaker, entrepreneur, and tech wizard. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me.
You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including how to reduce the amount of waste over the holidays. Afwaba with the story. How does one keep waste to a minimum, especially during the holiday season? Joining me to chat today about how we can make the holidays more eco-friendly, I have Joanne St. Goddard, who is the Executive Director with the Recycling Council of Ontario. Joanne, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. What are the top tips um, in order to reduce waste during and even after the holidays? Yeah, it's a really, really difficult time to not consume. We're very, very tempted and, you know, these days that's the basis for Christmas for sure. You know, what the biggest commodity is for everybody is time. Spending more time with their loved ones. And so the, the very first meaningful thing they can do is actually think about an experience. We encourage experiences, uh, time together, um, uh, uh, an outing, uh, going to the museum, taking in a movie, taking in a concert. Um, I had uh, a friend today decide that she was going to take her entire family for a winter horseback riding um, experience. So really experiences over things is, is the number one tip. Time in and of itself is a gift, right? And I think we get so caught up in buying stuff, we forget about spending that time with the person in general. You're absolutely right. And, you know, we're all so caught up in the busyness that becomes the Christmas season that by the time the day actually comes around that, you know, we're exhausted and we don't right. actually have any energy to take advantage of the time off that the, uh, that the Christmas season affords us. I love it. Okay, so time, number one. Okay, so what are some other tips you can give us? Really what's trendy and, 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 and really heartfelt is, is homemade uh, items as well. Uh, everybody likes to eat, uh, so if you're into cooking, uh, giving uh, a gift of food, uh, knitting, for an example, a homemade uh, a gift that you know is, is practical, it's wearable, but again, it has your, your personal signature to it. Instead of buying a CD, and that might be an old term now, um, you're actually buying a service for someone. So you might want to think about gifting them a season of Netflix or gifting them some kind of a membership on, on an Apple Music. So again, you're not walking away with someone that's, that's something that's going to end up in landfill, but you may be appealing to moviegoers or uh, TV watchers or music lovers as well. You know, with the, the holiday wraps and, and the holiday wrapping and all of that that you purchase and then after they unwrap the gift and then they throw it away, is there maybe an alternative that we can do instead of uh, buying all of that holiday wrapping paper? I can tell you what my mother-in-law does because she's a master at it. Um, she buys the plain brown, fully recyclable, sometimes it has post-consumed material in it to begin with, um, and she wraps her gifts with that plain brown paper and then uh, uh, decorates it up with her own uh, sometimes sayings, sometimes verses, and sometimes a little picture. Um, and I think, you know, you've seen all, all sorts of different options. You've seen there are tie bags where the gift goes right into the bag and it gets tied up and then that bag gets used over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even received gifts in newsprint. Um, sometimes they're comics, so it's quite colorful. And in fact, that's the one that sticks out most under the tree because it's unlike any other. Right. So I think, I think people are pretty sensitive uh, to the overconsumption that has become Christmas. I think uh, they, they also appreciate that, that so much consumption has created so much waste. And we need to become more creative around that. And, and, and people want to give something personal. So personal wrapping paper that's designed by, uh, by the person giving it is pretty personal. 
can't get more personal than that. All right, cool. And then um, just and using shoe boxes too, right? Instead of maybe going out and buying boxes and then having to, I mean, wrap that up. I mean, just get rid of the shoe boxes that you already have in your house too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do that to my 13-year-old, although he's always wanting new sneakers. So sometimes he gets disappointed when I'm using the shoe box, but there's really no shoes in that shoe box. So you just have to be careful that you're not... Uh, that you're not disappointing the person, but absolutely, there's so many different, uh, there's so, so, so many different in, innovative things we can do. Perfect. Okay, now uh, talk to me about maybe uh, sometimes it might be a taboo topic during holiday season, but we'll, we're going to go there. Regifting, in case you get something that you don't necessarily like, tell us how it can be maybe a good thing environmentally, maybe giving it back. Yeah. I'm all about regifting, um, and, and I don't think it has to be insulting. And sometimes I regift something without the receiver knowing that it's been given to me. But I mean, the idea is that if you've got something in your possession, if somebody's been giving you something, you know, I think when you give something to someone, you want to make sure they actually use it. So if in fact it's an item that's not really, you know, your uh, your thing, but you know someone else who would love it. There's really nothing uh, wrong with with giving it uh, over to that person. I think the idea is we want to maximize the use of the item so that this person really loves the, the, the product or the item that you're actually giving. So I think this is all in the spirit of enjoyment. It's, it's the experience of, of, of making sure that, uh, that you're utilizing the things that you have in your home or, or, or whatnot. So, you know, A, you don't have to tell the person that you ended up to re-gift it. You don't have to tell the receiver that this item was given to you. I think it's all about maximizing the use of, uh, of the products that we're going to spend money on or that we happen to have in our home so that they don't sit unused and, again, ultimately end up in landfill. And I, I know it probably might be the obvious, but don't re-gift and give it to an immediate family member so that the person can maybe see it down the line. <laughs> maybe maybe keep a small note for yourself so you don't re-give it back to the person who gave it to you. There may be that. That's probably very sound advice. Perfect. I, I agree with you there. Okay. Um, let's talk about keeping it real. Talk to me about maybe the benefits of using real items. Uh, let me, yeah. For an example, like trees um, instead of using fake ones. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we know that, um, you know, there's a lot of energy and material that goes into making uh, a, a, a mock or a mimic of something that's actually real. And so there, there is the, the resources and the materials that go into making fake trees. Um, and usually those trees are made up uh, predominantly of plastic. And unfortunately, some of that plastic is really, really difficult to recycle, particularly when it comes in the form of a, of a tree. It doesn't fit in your blue box. And it's probably a composite material that's really tough for the recycling industry to try to actually uh, remake or, or process into, into, new, into new items. So, uh, you know, the benefit of, of a living tree is that, in fact, uh, when you're finished with it, you can take it outside. Uh, many municipalities uh, receive it uh, at the end of the year or within the new year, and they use that. They mulch it up, and they make landscaping for the municipality. Uh, it gets repurposed, and, of course, because uh, nothing is waste in nature. Um, the natural material that's part of the tree gets put back right, right back into the ground where, where it, can, it can, of course, uh, provide nutrients for, for soils as well. Or in some cases, if you're lucky enough to live in the country, you can actually use it for wood or you can use it for your own landscaping purposes as well. So there are, um, uh, of course, um, there are benefits both in terms of ensuring that you've got nothing to discard in landfill, nothing that actually has to be recycled, and something that is natural that can be put right back into, uh, into the ecosystem.
hopefully that'll that'll um, allow maybe residents to take a second look into getting real trees instead of just buying fake ones and chucking it in the garbage afterwards. Yeah, and, and tree farmers, I mean, by their very nature, they want their trees to be healthy, they want them to look good, and of course they want to keep producing trees year over year in their farm. So they have a vested interest in ensuring that they grow sustainably. So um, you can rest assured that, uh, that, that many of the farmers out there that are selling trees are taking very good care of their crops um, and, and taking good care of the soil and, and, and farming responsibly because really that's where their money comes from. So, uh, and, 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 and again, uh, the materials for trees are, are, uh, can be absolute nutrients for, for the ground. So that material can go right back into the ecosystem without any harm whatsoever. So um, we do encourage people to look at natural and real trees if they can. Perfect. Okay. So talk to me uh, for the, to, let's help the uh, listeners know a little bit more about the Recycling Council of Ontario and where residents can go for more details. Thanks so much for that. So our uh, website is, of course, www.rco.on.ca or rco.on.ca is the URL. Um, and the Recycling Council has actually been around in Ontario, uh, this is our 40 year, as 40th year as an anniversary, um, and we really help keep the issues of waste and consumption at top of mind for the public and try to get them to understand the not only the environmental costs of overconsumption and waste, but the economic and social ones as well. So we do a lot of uh, public awareness work. We, we educate through our programs at, uh, at, in schools at the elementary and the secondary uh, level. Um, we do a lot of research and policy work as well. So we, we work with governments to develop new regulations that help companies and, and uh, citizens uh, reduce their consumption and ultimately reduce their waste as well. So again, rco at um, .on.ca and uh, we're welcoming any calls uh, or interest in the organization. We are a, a not-for-profit charity, so if you'd like to make a Christmas donation in lieu of purchasing something, again, a very good wasteless gift. Perfect. All right, Joanne, thank you so much for chatting with me about this uh, very important topic, uh, ways of reducing our waste during the holiday season. Um, happy anniversary um, to the Recycling Council of Ontario. Happy 40th, 40 years of uh, continuing to help uh, Ontarians reduce their waste in as many ways as possible. And of course, Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Thanks so much and Merry Christmas to you and your listeners as well. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next stop is the United Way and their plans to strengthen communities inside York Region. So, Ruth, we're uh, talking about the United Way launching a new na neighborhood development grant uh, in York Region. We're looking at an investment of about $400,000. What can you tell us about this investment? Well, this investment is an opportunity to work with our community partners on the ground and to put resident voice at the heart of, of the work in some particular neighborhoods in New York region to address issues of poverty and to strengthen those communities. And you mentioned particular neighborhoods. Which neighborhoods are we looking at? We are going to focus uh, going deeper into Markham and Georgina. Okay, and what in particular about these uh, specific neighborhoods um, do we see a need for this sort of support? Well, the select, it's hard to choose particular neighborhoods to go deeper in, and United Way, of course, has invested in a range of 
programs and services all across the region. Uh, but we chose these two areas for a variety of reasons. Uh, in part, our, our research and mapping tells us that there are concentrations of people living in poverty in these areas, and in fact that they um, could benefit from uh, a stronger resident voice and an opportunity for some of the community organizations there to be working together uh, to address some issues in their local communities. And we worked with the region of York uh, staff to identify some of these key areas. So in Markham, we know there's a growing newcomer population, uh, in particular South Asian newcomers and Chinese newcomers who really need to uh, access services, but also to uh, encourage and enable those residents to really be part of their communities and have voice in their communities. And Georgina struggles with issues like access to services because of transportation um, or just service gaps on, on the ground. And, uh, and so that those are two places where we're going to start with this work. Okay, wonderful. And, and clearly you're looking at the specifics of each community and what their needs are within that particular community, right? And what kind of research would go into uh, isolating and understanding what the need is in a particular community when it comes to funding from the United Way and, and how that funding is decided upon? Well, overall, we we look at a number of factors when we're choosing to fund programs and services. We do look take a place-based look, so we look at where we need to fund services to make sure that uh, they're accessible to, to people who live in the area, and particularly, as you know, uh, United Way is focused on alleviating poverty and looking at issues related to poverty, so we look at that. But we look at a number of other factors. We look at uh, partnerships on the ground, and we look at opportunities as well, and strengths as well as, as challenges. Can you share uh, the names of some of these organizations that will be benefiting? Yeah, happy to. Um, we haven't been invested with a number of these partners over the years, so it's not that this work uh, hasn't been happening in, in York Region in the past. It, this will allow us to strengthen and deepen it, but again, what's um, interesting and unique about the work is that it really is about resident engagement and putting resident voice at the center of the issues. We know that services and programs are important, but change in community is actually going to happen from people working together to solve local issues and not only from community service solutions. So the partners on the ground uh, in Georgina, uh, the, the team will be led by Jericho Youth Services, but also Root Roots Connecting Communities and the Georgina Food Pantry will be involved. Uh, and we know the link is in Georgina, which is a terrific resource there. So we're hoping some of the work can build off that, uh, those opportunities. And in Markham, it's a, a fairly large uh, collaboration between Aging Court Community Services, Social Services Network, Ebenezer United Church, Family Services York Region, and the Center for Immigrant and Community Services. Mm, okay. Now, but again, the focus here is on 
those organizations working together to engage uh, residents and other stakeholders in their communities. Understood. So I'm very curious, and I'm assuming just as population grows in any given community, uh, so uh, too does the need for services like this. Um, Is that something that you've noticed specifically in York Region? Has the need within York Region uh, over the years uh, grown for the the support that the United Way uh, provides? Well, reports like our Opportunity Equation tell us that poverty is growing all across the the region, Uh, but York is one of the fastest growing um, municipalities, and while it's very prosperous, poverty is actually growing in York as well. So in the 70s and 80s, there were no neighborhoods that we would identify as low-income neighborhoods. But today, about 16% of neighborhoods in York are identified as as low-income through our research. Uh, We also, um, you may know that United Way uh, facilitated the first point-in-time count to identify the number of homeless people in York a number of years ago. And more recently, the region has picked up this work and um, uh, did it recently, and that there are, for example, a lot of uh, hidden homeless people in York region. So those challenges associated with poverty are growing in York as they are across the region. Right, right. Okay, very good. Anything else that you'd like to add in particular about this uh, about this initiative? Just that United Way is really working to bring attention to unignorable issues across the region and poverty is at the root of those and that we are very pleased to have some terrific community partners uh, who are doing such a good job in York region already and we're really looking forward to this more innovative approach uh, to through coalitions and working with residents just so that local people can really create their own York-based solutions. Very good. Ruth Cramen, the VP of Community Investment and Development with United Way, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. It may not look like winter, but the season is upon us. Jim Lang takes in the great outdoors. With the holidays upon us, it's going to be a busy time for families all across the region and across the province. And good news, because Ontario Parks are open for winter fun. To talk more about it, always told to talk to the Media Relations Coordinator for Ontario, Kevin Forget. Kevin, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm not too bad. How about you? Good. I mean, this is a great time over there where it's a, a, a snow, a snowboarding and uh, cross-country skiing and snowshoeing or outdoor sk- uh, skating or even the snowmobile trails. There is no end to what people can do in the outdoor parks in this great province. Yeah, no, we have been so lucky with an early season. You mentioned the skiing and the snowboarding resorts opened up this year earlier than really they have in years and years, pretty much since like 1997. So really, if you're looking to even enjoy it this weekend or even over the holidays, good news is they're going to be pretty much in full swing at almost all the resorts across the province. Even for Christmas Day, we have Horseshoe Resort, Blue Mountain, and Hidden Valley, which is up in Huntsville, open on Christmas Day. So if you don't want to spend time with the family doing the turkey thing, why not hit the slopes instead? That's a great idea. Now, the other thing that I've been turned on to the last couple of years in the province is these outdoor skating trails, and I've, I've hit a few of them, but there's one I, I think I'd like to check out. It's 1.3 kilometers at Arrowhead Provincial Park. I don't know where that is, but I'd like to check it out. Where is Arrowhead? 
So Arrowhead is just outside of Huntsville, and it pretty much is the world-famous one. It got, like, you know, people even talked about it on Live with Kelly and Michael back in the day when they had their show. So it's right across North America, and it is, like you said, a really cool skate trail through what what normally during the summertime is the campground. So you're actually riding on the road. So they ice it with a Zamboni. It's a cool skate trail, and it is really one of the first popular ones. But we do say... It's so popular that if you're planning on enjoying it, we really do recommend trying it during the week. It gets pretty crazy on weekends, but the good news is it's not really the only skate trail. We've got ones pretty much right across the province now. We've got one up in Bala at the Bala Cranberry Marsh, so you do a little bit of skate trailing and you enjoy maybe some wine at the same time. We've got a beautiful one at Fern Resort. Blue Mountain just opened one at the top of the mountain, so while you're doing the ice skating trail, you're overlooking Georgian Bay, which is kind of cool, too. So lots of great skate trail options, for sure. Speaking with Kevin Forget from the Media Relations Coordinator for the Province of Ontario Tourism and, and, and Destination Ontario. And Kevin, one thing I'm intrigued about is something at Windy Lake Provincial Park. It's new roofed accommodation. What exactly is that? So what they've opened up, not just at Windy Lake, there are different uh, areas across Ontario now that Ontario parks have cabins. So you rent these cabins, um, not only just during the summertime, but they're opening up in the winter too. So they're they're really neat. They're all a little different. Some of them have washrooms, some don't. Um, They've got fireplaces inside that are not uh, wood-burning fireplaces, but they're they're off propane. Mm -hmm. And it's neat because you get to enjoy these during the winter time. So even you mentioned Arrowhead Provincial Park as, as a place for the skate trail. I actually stayed in one of the cabins up at Arrowhead this past winter. And it's a cool experience because you get to do snowshoeing you see all the snow and you get to stay inside of a warm cabin at the same time so windy lake just opened one up there's some great options for doing that and some ice fishing when the conditions are good so if you head to ontarioparks.com they've got a list of different uh, roofed accommodations right across ontario that you can enjoy this winter it's an alternative to, to winter camping in an actual tent it's more of a warmer route to do it in the cabin instead. And it's funny you brought that up because I know some people tried to do the tent routine, but it is a little extreme. And this whole cabin idea with the provincial parks of Ontario, there's a sense of cleanliness and safety that to me is more inviting for couples and families to take part in this. For sure. And, 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 you know, it could be a major snowstorm and you still have the roofed cover. That's really the, the key thing. Roofed accommodations that keep you toasty and warm. And, and if you want more of a, an higher end roofed route, the, uh, you know, if you're planning on doing any resorting really across the province at all this winter, book early. March break's going to be here in no time. Family day is almost just as popular as March break, if not more popular. So don't wait until the last minute. You know, maybe it's get on the computer this weekend and book something for later this winter because, you know, the unfortunate part is winter only lasts for a couple of months, so get out and take advantage. And a lot of people who are dedicated anglers swear by ice fishing, and we are kind of blessed in this province with some of the best ice fishing in North America. Yeah, we are, and, uh, you know, conditions aren't there yet, but when they do, Lake Simcoe, which is, you know, right in our own backyard, is pretty much, especially Jackson's Point, is the ice fishing capital of Canada. So it's neat because you can get out, do some ice fishing. Um, a lot of people are intimidated because they don't have the huts. They don't have the fishing rods. There are a lot of operators that will take care of all of that for you. So literally you show up, you know, in your snow pants, your toque and gloves. They'll get you to the huts. They'll provide you with the bait. They'll give you the fishing rods. So they'll give you everything everything you need for an ice fishing experience and you don't have to have any of that stuff yourself. Uh, Kevin, the other thing that's kind of neat for families and something that just to get out of the house, if you've got a little cabin fever over the Christmas break is a, a new year's day hike. Tell us about this kind of new initiative. 
So it's neat because it encourages getting out, doing stuff outdoors. So there's certain parks that are doing this New Year's Day hike, and uh, there's there's really too many to mention. But again, I'm gonna you know I don't want to push the website too much, but OntarioParks.com yeah, okay. has a New Year's hike, and it's neat because it's guided hikes. It shows you where you can go, what you can do, and if you if if you want to do the the foot hike, that's what they're gonna do there. But one thing, and and maybe I'm gonna ask you this, Jim. When was the last time you threw on some snowshoes? You know what? I don't think I've ever done it. What? No, I, I got to get you on some snowshoes. Yeah, That's my goal before the end of this winter to get you on snowshoes. Okay, yeah, let's do this. I, I always wanted to try it. It's neat, and it's nice because no matter how deep the snow is or what the conditions are, it really makes it a lot easier. So if you're not going to sort of do the hikes through Ontario Parks, you can do snowshoe hikes. You know, we have some great snowshoeing at the Scenic Caves in Collingwood. We have great snowshoeing up at Horseshoe Resort. A lot of the resorts, if you stay at them, offer this stuff for free. Throw on the snowshoes, go for a hike. Um, you know, it's going to give you the adrenaline you need, but it makes it a lot easier than doing it on foot. It, it's not as slippery, I guess, is the best way to put it. The other passion I see, especially in the 400 series highways, are people with their trailers or their trucks pulling their sleds and their snowmobiles. And we are also blessed with, I mean, am I correct? There are literally hundreds of kilometers of groomed trails for snowmobiles in this province? There are 30,000 wow. kilometers of, of, of OFSE trails. So, again, we were waiting for the first OFSE club to say they're open. It's difficult because a lot of the trails do go over some water surfaces, so oh, that's what kind right. of makes it a little bit more delayed on having these trails open. But over 30,000 kilometers of OFSE trails. And, again, it's neat because if you have um, your own snowmobile, get yourself a pass. They have some trail passes that you can get for just a couple of days if you want to try it out. Even this winter, they're going to have some, they're going to make an announcement soon about try our trails where you can go out and enjoy it for free over a certain weekend and I think that's going to be in February but the neat part too is there are places say for example up at Deerhurst Resort that you can go and rent a snowmobile for the day. And so, again, same as the ice fishing. All you do is show up really with your snow pants, and they'll give you everything from the, the helmet to the gloves, throw you on a snowmobile. Well, they'll give you a lesson first, Jim. <laughs> then they'll, they'll make sure you're comfortable. And then you can go through and do some guided trails because the OFSC trails go right through the park. And it's kind of neat because they have the whole setup there, and it's an opportunity to try it and not have to own one yourself. It really is. There's no end to what we can do outside in the winter winter and embrace all that's great in Canada in this province, uh, especially this time of year. Kevin, always a real thrill. Again, give that website a plug. So I'm going to give the website OntarioTravel.net. has everything you need, daily snow reports, all of the stuff on OFSC trails, and then OntarioParks.com if you want to enjoy some of the roofed accommodations and the skate trail at Arrowhead. Kevin, all the best to you and the family with the holidays and the new year, and we'll look forward to doing this again sometime. New music. New music. A new artist on the feed. My name is Tara Macri, and I started singing, wow, I think it was before I could walk. I would drive everyone crazy in my family, and I would run around the dining room table making up songs. Um, my career right now, I live in L.A., but I am here in my hometown, very excited to be here. This is my holiday song, Christmas for Two, on 105.9 The Region. Star in the sky, light up the sky Wise men tell me I'ma get mine Pen in my hand, look in that stamp Drop it in the mailbox just like that Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la Seal it with a kiss just like this Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la Well, I got one wish Christmas for two Yeah. 
snowflakes fall, sparks fly, dipping hot chocolate, you and I, for I'm cold, moving close under the blanket, mistletoe, fa la 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 feel it with a kiss, just like this, fa la 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 That's our special holiday edition of The Feed. If you missed any part of our show, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.